Well, Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Actually, it's uh, Church in the City, Beth Abraham, and uh, my name is Michael Walkenfeld. Well, that's that's my real name. So let's get that right. Um, James and I found out we have a similar path. We're born at the same time. We graduated high school the same time. We got saved at the same time. So um, it, it's just an amazing thing. Not in the same places, but, uh, but uh, I'm happy to be here. Chaim, I've known for 25 years, never invited me once, first time. But I, I, <laughs> but I, I do have to say I've never invited him either. <laughs> we've just, you know, kind of, we, we've known each other. We have a corned beef sandwich every now and then. Uh, we share about our tours together. Uh, what it's like being a pastor, rabbi in, in this day. And uh, I've known Eliezer the same. He was at our dedication of our, recent dedication of, uh, of our synagogue. So you have to figure that if someone, uh, I don't give my pulpit very easily to anybody. <laughs> so you have to understand that if he's giving me a chance to speak here, there's relationship there. I had one guy that came up uh, and he was recommended to speak, and I never met him. I very rarely do this, you know, say, let someone speak to the congregation without me knowing them and so on. So I, I let the guy do it. He had all these, you know, he wrote a book, he had big macha, whatever. And um, I remember he got up there, and he, um, he shared two jokes, a scripture, and a close. And he was over, and I'm thinking... What did this guy just do? And I said, wait a second. I said, people come a long way. They want to hear something. They want to get something uh, from the message and so on. Two jokes, a scripture and a close. What's up with that? He says, I was just having an off day. I said, you can't have an off day in someone's pulpit. (laughs) I mean, give me a break. Yeah, but anyway, I've learned my lesson from that, and, and I appreciate Chaim. But he gave me two assignments here. He says, share your testimony and also share a message. So you're going to get two for the price of one. And, um, and uh, just to let you know that the message, uh, he, he doesn't realize this. He called me like two days before, and he says, okay, what's the name of your message and what's the scripture? I said, I don't know. I, I said, okay, I'll give you one. You know, pastors, I've been doing this for 20-something years, so I have 500 sermons so I'll think, okay, what are we going to talk about? And I, pay, I had something that I shared that was on my heart, but that's all changed <laughs> in the past day or so. God has been speaking to my wife and I about some things and just things that have happened recently, even before they happened that night uh, on Thursday night. And um, so the, the message has changed, but the testimony will be the same because that's, that's happened uh, over the past 40 years. So let me just give you briefly my little testimony, and then I'll get into this message. Uh, when I was 14 years old, uh, my grandfather, who was a rabbi, was, uh, well, as I was growing up, he always talked about the Messiah, the Messiah, and uh, didn't know who this Messiah was. When I was 14, he was dying. He couldn't go to the synagogue anymore. And they brought him out to my room in Long Island, and... Um, I always wondered why you'd put a, a dying 90-something-year-old man in the room of a teenager. But I watched him pray every night. I, I didn't know really. Uh, it was the, my Hebrew wasn't that great, but he'd pray in Hebrew every night and prayed. And I, I really believed that he was praying that one day his kids and 
his grandkids would come to know the Messiah. And it was in uh, 1972, as you'll see uh, this little journey I had. So tucked that away, I'm sitting in his, uh, in the room watching him pray, pray, pray. And then uh, I go off, uh, graduate high school, go to college, um, start off very straight, basketball scholarship, want to be economic advisor to the President of the United States. I don't know why anyone would want to do that. Uh, but anyway, when I graduated in 68, I was a stoned-out, hippie, freak, anti-war demonstrator. So, I mean, things do change when you're going through the 60s. So I started my journey looking for answers to life and uh, wound up going to South America, Brazil, wound up standing in a circle when they were doing uh, witchcraft macumba and thought, man, I'm going to get into this witchcraft stuff. And I stood around and they lit this flaming cross and, and this woman would come around and smash her head against people and they'd wander and take some flowers and throw them out into the ocean to the sea goddess and all that. And as she was getting to me, I said, I don't think I want to get my head smashed by this lady. I don't think that's it. Okay, I'm going to hop on a plane and uh, I'll head back to my uh, homeland, Israel, and check out that, and uh, so I'm walking around Israel, my sister was there in a kibbutz, and this is true, I don't know why I did this, but every time I'd walk through the street in Israel, I'd tell someone, follow me, and they'd start to follow me, and I'd say someone else, follow me, and I'd tell someone else, follow me, and I had this whole group of people following me, and I had absolutely no idea where I was going, I mean, I'm serious, uh, I just had, I guess, a messianic complex, Jack, you understand that, I mean, it's just the way it is, uh, so I you know, hung around Israel for a while and figured that wasn't it. And then I said, well, what about if I hung out in the Caribbean? That sounds like a good place. They might have answers there. So I wound up going to Puerto Rico, wound up getting busted for drugs, wound up in prison in Puerto Rico with a preliminary 10-year sentence on me. And uh, I think, well, maybe this isn't the right place to be. I didn't know what to do. I called my dad and uh, when my dad found out I was arrested in, in a prison and had a preliminary 10-year sentence in Puerto Rico, my head shaved uh, in this old prison cell, uh, he felt compassion on me even though he hated the drugs and all that. He came and, and rescued me and got me out of there. And, uh, and I continued my journey, um, uh, wound up going to, um, I had sent, uh, when I also wanted to start a, a boutique in St. Thomas and that didn't work, and I had given someone some money to buy all these clothes for me in Europe and found out that they were in an island in Spain. So I went out to Europe to try and find them in a Volkswagen bus chugging all through Europe, uh, up the Alps and down the Alps, and, and, and then wound up on this island in the middle of the Mediterranean called Ibiza. And I thought, well, this is probably it. This is the answer. I had my own motorcycle, Volkswagen bus sitting in this island, all I had a pair of shorts on, I could just hang out here the rest of my life, this must be it. And so, uh, but then I found out that uh, the dictator Franco was taking away all the hippies' passports and throwing them in jail, and I said, I don't want to go back to jail again. <laughs> I said, probably this isn't it either, and this, I thought I had the answer. It was one drug deal a year to Morocco when I was set. Every year I'd be able to just hang out and so on, but that wasn't it. I said, Okay, Michael, if it's not in the middle of the Mediterranean, and it, then why don't you go back and try and make something in your life? So I went at back and wor started working for my dad. You know, this whole business was set up for me. It was a printing business and working in a printing plant and so on. And I, I, that probably lasted about uh, a month with me. I couldn't handle living in a cave and then going to a printing plant in New York. I mean, it just didn't work, so I'd be getting high in the dark rooms and saying, okay, Dad, I can't do this anymore. And he threw some of the greatest 
Jewish guilt you can ever imagine. He says, okay, if, if you leave this business, I'll never talk to you again the rest of your life. And I was like, okay, well, if I stay here, I'm going to go nuts. So I have to, I'm out of here, Dad. And my dad and I broke apart then. And I wound up going to California and uh, doing the same stuff. Met some people, a gal who married George Harrison from the Beatles, Olivia. And they were into the guru, so they took me to the guru. And, and I figured, okay, now I'm going to find the answer to life I've been looking for. And I remember people sitting in that room saying, oh, guru, tell us the answer to life. And he'd say, well, how long have you been coming to my meetings? I've been coming here three years. You're not ready for the answer to life. And I'm looking at and this one person, I've been coming here five years. You're not ready to hear the answer to life. And I'm thinking, I'm going to sit here and listen to this guy for five years, kiss his feet like everyone, give him all my money, and then one day he's going to tell me what the answer to life is. I don't think I can wait around five years. I don't care if the Beatles are into it or whatever. I'm out of here. So my search continued. I'm just fast-forwarding this whole thing, and I wound up uh, one night in a restaurant with a group of my friends, all Jewish, and we're sitting in Santa Monica, and there was a group of people that were really happy next to us, and I said, well, I wonder what drug they had, because I was always looking for the latest drug to get happy. And uh, we started passing notes back and forth, and then they invited us to a uh, dinner that they have every Wednesday night in Malibu, and they said, bring your friends. I said, oh, that's great. Love a free dinner. I'm single, and I can always <laughs> you know, enjoy that. So I brought 10 of my friends, you know, we're knocking on the door. Is this okay? I just met these people. They say, yeah, they, they, they're really nice people. And so we get in there, and, and they feed us, and we sing Beatles songs. And it was like, oh, wow, these guys are really cool. They feed us. And come back the next week, do Beatles songs, eat. Sometimes I was so stoned, I, I crawled in on my hands and knees, and they just said, Michael, come in. You're welcome. I go, wow, these people are really nice. They're not judging me in, in any way. And then one week they said, Michael, we're having this happening in a castle in Hollywood, and we'd like you to come. And I'm thinking, wow, this is going to be one of those wild Hollywood parties I've been looking for my whole life. And, and so I remember going up there with six of us, all Jewish, Israel Bornstein, Herbie Berger, and the crew. And, uh, and I remember getting high going on the way up there. Man, this is going to be one of those crazy wild parties. I mean, I was so excited about this. So we get up there, man, it's a castle, we're there, there's cars everywhere, and, and I remember the six of us walking through this door, and then we walk down this long corridor, and we stand in a room, it was bigger than this, and it's the middle of this castle, and all these people, and I remember standing at the edge, and something saying to me, Michael, this is it, this is what you've been looking for your whole life. And I had no idea what these people were into and so on. So I got in the middle of this room. My other friends went to the darkest corner of the room because it was a very intimidating sight. I mean, there were all these people. We didn't know them. And I remember I'm just standing in the middle of this room. This, and all of a sudden, this guy walks up to me. I didn't know who he was. And he touches me on my head. And I wind up falling over backwards on my back, confessing Jesus as the Messiah without anyone ever witnessing to me, telling me about Jesus. I wasn't even looking for Jesus in any way. I mean, God sovereignly revealed himself to me. I believe it was an answer to my grandfather's prayer. And here I am lying on the floor of this castle, confessing Jesus without ever being witnessed to. And these people are praying the blood, the blood. And I'm thinking I'm laying in a pool of blood because I, I never heard that language before. And I figured I must have hit the ground pretty hard here. But... <laughs> I was lying there, and I said, I don't care. I felt so good. One of my friends grabs me and says, we got to get out of here. This ain't no Hollywood party. This is some religious thing going on. And I said, and I looked at him. He was all angry, and I looked at these people praying, and I said, I'm, I'm not going anywhere. 
And uh, it was from that moment on in 1972 that uh, I wound up continuing a, a walk. I wound up moving into the castle. I had found out later that they had invited a, a Jewish girl uh, to this meeting, and they were going to pray for her. And, the, in the, and it was right then this, this Jewish girl said, no, I don't want your prayers. And the guy said, okay, if the Jews don't want it, I'm going to give it to the Gentiles. And he walks up to me. Now, he didn't know who I was. That was a Jewish prayer, but he thought I was an Italian Pentecostal, I found out later. <laughs> What can you say? But I got the prayer. I got the blessing. And uh, that was in 1972. And I haven't looked back from there. So praise God. And uh, that was a quick version of life. And, and um, like I said, the, uh, bear with me because the message I was going to share up until yesterday or Thursday was a lot different than what I'm going to share today, and I, and I hope, and I've been just writing it down. Sometimes God just, you know, we just keep downloading it and writing it down, so I'm going to, hopefully, I've never shared this before. I'm, I'm going to share part of it with my church tomorrow and so on and so forth, but I, I hope I can get it, and, and I hope it makes sense to you. So let me just pray. Father, um, I, I pray, Lord, that I could share what's on your heart. Uh, I could share what you would have me share for such a time as this in, in our midst here, uh, Lord. And I pray that we'd all have ears to hear what you're saying through this message and be able to receive it and understand what to do about it as well. And, and I just pray that in Jesus' name. You know, we've been talking about what's happened uh, recently and... Um, you know, I'm sure we've all been affected. We've been affected as a church. Um, people have gone to our church and so on, and uh, don't have to get into the details, but uh, they've been affected by this personally and through relatives and so on and f so forth. And, and you think, and, and I know this gentleman, I don't know your name, but you said, you know, how do you make sense of what's going on and, and what God is trying to tell us uh, through all about what's what's happening here and uh, you know times are getting darker I mean we really are in a, a dark time and uh, and I think one of the main things the church and the congregation and the messianic congregation we need to find out okay what does that mean for us what what are you saying to us Lord in all of this and how do we deal with what you're doing for such a time as this? You know, just as the sons of Issachar, they knew what was happening in the time and they knew what to do about it. And I believe it's, it's, it's a time that we need to truly understand what God is showing us through all that is happening now. Um, you know, how someone could, like he said, walk up and just indiscriminately just murder women and children without any rhyme or reason and so on and so forth. And you think, what is going on here? And I believe we are coming into the 11th hour uh, of, of time. And, uh, and to me, 11th hour means we're getting close to midnight, the darkest time. And, um, and as we get to the 12th hour, uh, things are really going to get horrible uh, for those that don't know the Lord, for those that don't know Yeshua. I, I believe people are out there, they're without hope. They're not hopeless, 
but they're just without hope because they don't have hope. 93% of people in this city of Denver do not know the Lord. 93%. So we got 7% of us hanging out, uh, doing our thing, and, and so on, while 93% are right now probably in a state of total despair, and, and, and like we all are, but at least we need to understand what is God saying to us for such a time as this. You know, when I'm looking at it as believers in this hour that we're in, I'm seeing it as the 11th hour and we're approaching the 12th hour. But for us, I believe it's the time we shine. I believe it's the time that God has, has set aside for us. And I believe the 11th and 12th hour are, are right out of Romans 11, 11, 11, 12. So let, let's take a look at that real quick, if you would. Beginning with Romans 11, 11. And again, it, it, it really goes back to Israel and the Jewish peace and, and what God is doing in that as we're approaching the greatest hour for us as believers. It says, in that case, I say, isn't it that they have stumbled with the result that they have permanently fallen away? You know, that's what the replacement theologists would think because Israel has denied, so therefore they're out of the picture, which is a totally untrue. He says, heaven forbid, quite the contrary. It is by means of their stumbling that the deliverance has come to the Gentiles in order to provoke Israel to jealousy. You know, I believe over the past hundreds and hundreds of years, because of Israel stepping away and walking away from Messiah, that the time of the Gentiles has really come into the fullness uh, as the 11th hour is, is really drawing close because of the message of the gospel that has traveled all over the world. And now we are coming into that point after the salvation that has gone out to the nations, to the Gentiles, we're coming now to the point, to the day of Romans eleven twelve, And the reason why I say that, and I'm going to give you some... Let me go back to that. In Romans eleven twelve, it says, Moreover, if their stumbling is bringing riches to the world, that is, if Israel's being placed temporarily in a condition less favored than that of the Gentiles bringing riches to the Gentiles, how much greater riches will Israel in its fullness bring to them? You know, some word says it'll be like life from the dead. And I really believe we're in that day all over the world. All over the world now we're seeing Jewish people coming into the Messiah. We're, we're seeing people being provoked to jealousy in, in Russia, in South America, here in the United States, in India. My wife just got back from India, and there's a place in India where Israelis go when they leave the army in searching for answers, in searching. What they're looking for is Eastern religion. They're looking for yoga. But when they get there, there's a group of believers there that are 
waiting to share the truth of the Messiah with them, and they're hungry. They're hungry. They reached out to 90 Israelis there when they were there, and many came to know Yeshua. And, and it's something that's happening now. It, there, there's a hunger. There's a desire in the hearts of Jewish people that are just hungry to know the truth. And in Israel. I don't know if you got the latest uh, newsletter from Avi Mizrahi, but he says people are coming, you know, Jews are coming to know him. He needs help. He needs help in, in taking these people. You see, the gospel started in Jerusalem. It went all around to the nations, and now it's coming full circle back to Jerusalem. And that's the time we're in, and I believe that's the 12th hour that God is approaching us. And as the world gets darker, we're going to see that our light begins to shine. And it's because Jews are being provoked to jealousy. You know, unfortunately, there's uh, some out there that are called, you know, and I won't label everyone this way, but are you familiar with the term Christian Zionist? There are Christian Zionists out there that are, are totally uh, sold out to Israel. They, they're raising millions of dollars. They're giving, I mean, but one of the areas that they're really lacking is reaching out to the saints in Israel that really and truly, when you name the name of Jesus as a Jew in Israel, you'll probably lose your job, lose your family, be in poverty, and, and really struggle. And what happened is I experienced something like that. And uh, because I, I, being, going to the church and being part of the church uh, as a Jew, I, I really haven't had some of the uh, amazing stuff that some of the messianic uh, rabbis have had. I, I do remember um, when I would share a lot of Jewish root stuff uh, in beginnings of our church, and people would go, why do we need that Jewish stuff? Why do we need that Jewish stuff? And so I'd almost get apologetic sharing some of it to them. And, uh, and then I shared, I remember, some of you know Raleigh Washington, I remember sharing something, and it was really like a real nugget and he said, Michael, you're holding out on us. You need to share what, who you are with us. I said, well, I feel like I'm always having to apologize for being a Jew and da-da-da-da. And, and, and then finally God told me, Michael, just be who you are. So I remember standing in front of the church and saying, God told me to be who I am, and that's who I'm going to be. <laughs> you know, some applauded, some walked out. You know, and, and, and that's just the way it was. And, uh, but... Since that moment on, I, I've been able to really see uh, some things that I never saw before. So they had brought in the uh, Minister of Tourism from Israel to meet some pastors here in Denver, uh, a uh, Jewish, I mean, a Christian Zionist group from Colorado Springs, which I won't name, uh, brought, us in, brought him in. And uh, so I was one of the pastors they chose. Uh, and I remember going in there, I was with Raleigh Washington and my wife, and we were set, sitting down, and he was with Promise Keepers, so, and Promise Keepers was going to do uh, uh, something in Israel, so he, I think he knew this guy. So I remember walking in, the first thing I said, the guy said to me when I walked in the room, he said, are you Israeli? I said, no, I'm a local pastor here in Denver, <laughs> I didn't want to get in anyway. And uh, so I sat down and we started talking, and and Raleigh said, well, we want to try and see if we can do something in Israel where we can get Jews and believing Jews and Gentiles together and in one place. And first thing he said, well, if 
Jews for Jesus are involved. The state of Israel wants nothing to do with them. And um, so I said to him, I said, do you mean the group Jews for Jesus or any Jew that believes in Jesus? He said, no, any Jew, any Jew that believes in Jesus, state of Israel wants nothing to do with them. No, 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 no. Okay. And then I said to him, I said, well, I said, really the only difference between an Orthodox Jew and a Jew that believes in Jesus, they both believe in the Messiah. They both believe in the Messiah, because my grandfather always did. I didn't say that, but, uh, but one believes he's coming, he's coming again. The other believes he's coming. We'll find out when he gets here, if it's the first time or the second time. And uh, I don't think he laughed at that, but, uh, but then he said, uh, and then uh, I finally just said to him, I just want to let you know I'm one of those Jews that believe he has come, and he's coming again. And as soon as I said that, this Christian Zionist lady starts rebuking me, starts saying, if I would have known you were a Jewish believer, I never would have had you sitting at this table. How dare you offend this guy and all that? And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. It's like, you know, she was like wanting me to deny Jesus for the sake of the unbeliever because I was offending him. Help me understand how that fulfills Scripture. Help me understand how that would provoke this Israeli to jealousy. Why would he want to be me if I'm being rebuked and put down? And, and uh, you know, all she would have had it done was say, Israel, you see this guy? He's my brother. If you want our tourism, if you want our millions and millions that the church has given to you, you need to stop persecuting these guys in the land. You need to accept them. You need, because we're going to give them the $80 million, not you. <laughs> you know, talk about provoking the jealousy. Man, that would, pro but how would provoking someone to jealousy by saying, here's $80 million for Israel? How is that provoking them to jealousy? Hey, I thank you. I love you. We love each other. But it's not provoking them to jealousy. So I learned a big lesson there about what that really means. And, you know, my wife said to the Israeli guy, do you believe a Jew who believes in Jesus is still a Jew? You know what the guy from Israel said? He said, yes. And you know what the Christian lady said? She said, no. <laughs> Help me understand how ignorant some are when it comes to what's on the heart of God. Provoking to jealousy to me is, is a really key in this. And let me just tell you about a, just a quick personal experience I had. When we, um, my wife's a missions pastor and she took a group to Egypt. And uh, my daughter was one of them, my oldest daughter. And she met a guy, an Egyptian guy we thought, uh, you know, they just became friends. And what happened when we went, when they got back home, my daughter had two very terrible relationships with believers. And um, one night she winds up leaving us a note in the middle of the night and said, I left for Egypt. And uh, I go, your daughter, I leave for Aurora. But Egypt? So she gets there, and when she gets there, this guy asks her to marry him. He's a Muslim. And she accepts. And I said, I sent my wife on the next plane out there. I said, you've got to go out there, please. I mean, you know, uh, obviously she's 28 years old, makes her own choices. But we tried everything we could, but she wound up marrying this guy. And this was a hard thing for us. And uh, 
His, na- his last name was Mohammed. Having a Jewish boy from the Bronx, having a son-in-law with the name of Mohammed. You, play, you, you try and explain that. It was the hardest thing for me. So they were in Egypt for about a year waiting for him to get papers, and they wound up coming back here and so on. And uh, when he came back here, the first place he arrived in the States ever being out of Egypt, he landed in the airplane and took him to the synagogue. <laughs> I mean, it was just, that was the first thing. And that first time I ever met him, he walks in while I'm up at the pulpit preaching in this synagogue here, you know, his Jewish father-in-law. You know, here is this Muslim from Egypt, and, and it was just, it was the craziest thing. I thought I was, like, dreaming, and um, he couldn't even understand. How do you be a Christian and a Jew and all this? You're born a Muslim, you're born a Jew, you're born a Christian, and da-da-da-da. So he, uh, they actually moved in with us, and it was just a really hard time. He just totally closed off, didn't want anything to do with it, uh, you know, and, and as it progressed, he... Um, began calling us evil people and uh, wound up treating my daughter really bad. They wound up having a baby and he decides to leave. Make a long story short, he he decides I'm going back to Egypt. And I'm going, well, in one sense, hallelujah. (laughs) You know, okay, let's get rid of the unbeliever who wants to go. That's that's perfectly fine with me. And um, he was gone and uh, all of a sudden when he got back to Egypt, uh, it was only a, uh, about a month or two ago. He had tattoos on his arms. And when he got back there, the Muslim Brotherhood found out he had tattoos. And they were actually chasing him with knives to cut off his arms. I mean, this was like a whole big culture shock to him because of this all happened while he was gone. And um, he winds up hiding in a house. And um, they, then he, fi- he, he was in Alexandria. And then they finally, he got out, changed his ticket, and he flew back here. And all this is happening, and he's remembering in his mind how people here loved him unconditionally and so on. And then he goes back to the Muslims uh, who just are, are violent and, and have this real hatred and, and so on. And things start happening inside of him, and he calls us. He said, hey, I'm changed. Something's happened to me. I'm really seeing things, and I'm seeing God, and, and so on and so forth. And I said, oh, yeah, right. Yeah, he just wants my daughter back and the baby and wants to move in. And uh, then he met with my wife, and, um, and he spent a long time with her, and she said, you know what? He sounds really like th- this is for real. And he said, you know, that he was jealous over the love that we had, he w- and it was provoking him, and it, and, he, and it was something that he wanted, and it was like, uh, he came to church uh, two, about two or three weeks ago and wound up at the altar giving, him, giving his life to Jesus. I mean, it was like... And, and it was like he's, what, he, what he told me, he said it was the love of God that he never felt before that he saw and he felt from us that really made him jealous and desirous to come before him. And that same night, he had a dream, and Jesus Christ came to him literally in a dream and revealed himself to him and showed him who he was and his handprints, and, and it, it just solidified the deal. The guy's been on fire for God, and, and uh, it's just been amazing. But here's the craziest part of all. And then he tells me, he said, I'm supposed to change my name. I don't want the name Muhammad anymore. And I said, oh, really? And I said, well, what do you want to change your name to? He said, Walker. Are you serious? He said, yes, I want to have your name. 
And I go home. Well, I said, let me call my dad. My dad's 93. They just celebrated their 70th wedding anniversary with my parents. Uh, so I called my dad, little old Jewish dad in, in, in Las Vegas. I said, Ash, Ashraf, you know, something happened to him. And he said, yeah, I know. I said, what do you mean you know? He says, he wants to change his name. I said, how did you know? God told me. Yeah, yes. I go, what? You got to be kidding. I said, do you know what he wants to change his name to? He says, yeah, Walker. And I'm thinking, I told my brother, to, my, my little old dad, and, my, and when I told my dad that, he said, this is real. God is real. He starts running all over his house and going, God is real. I mean, I mean it's just, and then he said, just tell Ash that he has my total blessings to have my name. So now I'm going to have a son. I'm my first son, I have four daughters with my name, my Egyptian, Muslim, Christian, whatever. I can't even figure it out, but God is good. And, and it was all about provoking to jealousy. Amen? Let's take a look at what's going on in the, today. If, if you have your Bible, turn to Isaiah 60 with me. I'm going to try and get through this. It's quick. I believe this is the day we're in. As the 11th and 12th hour are happening for us as believers, what are we meant to do in, in this world as believers? He says, Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and that thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. See, as things are getting darker, this should be our finest hour. This should draw people who are desiring to know truth. I believe as we're getting closer to the Lord's return, as we are seeing Matthew 23, 39, he said, I will not come again until... They cry out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. As more and more of the Jews are coming to know him, as more and more are calling out to him, we are in that day, we are in that hour. And we need to know what we are meant to do in that hour as a body of believers, as body of Messiah. And the prophet is saying, as, the, as it gets darker and darker, he's saying, arise, stand up, shine, for your light has come. It's our time. It's not, oh, what a wicked world we live in. And yeah, it is a wicked world we live in. But it's also telling us that it's our time. We are entering to, into that 12th hour. Like the darkest time is going to be our time. And the Hebrew word for rise is quam. You know better, Helen. Which means do it quickly. It's, it's upon us. It's a dramatic action. He says, stand up now. Now is the time to shine. As the world is getting darker, we need to be the light. We need to be a light that points them to Yeshua, that points them to give hope. We, we need to be out there. And what is that light? He says, it, the glory of the Lord, the kavod of the Lord has risen upon you. Is the, is the glory just for us so we can just bask in the glory? No, it's to be the light. The light of God's glory. It says it's rising upon his people. 
I mean, how many want to see God's glory just rise up in us? Amen. The glory of the Lord has come. And he says, see, the darkness is covering the earth. Thick darkness is covering the peoples. And we're incredibly blessed. Because as the darkness comes on us, he says, my light and glory are coming on you. And while it shines on you, those in the world are covered with darkness. Proverbs 4, 18, 19 says, the path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, shining ever bright till the full light of day. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. See, the word for darkness used here is really spiritual blindness. They're blind. Another word is falsehood, misery. They're ignorant. And that darkness, until they come in to know the light, until they come in to know Yeshua is going to get worse and worse and worse. It'll grow thicker and thicker till till they either get saved before he comes or when he comes. They're going to recognize that. See, we're seeing that type of spiritual darkness in our midst right now. Those senseless shootings. Those things going on around the world. I find it interesting that those shootings occurred at a movie called The Dark Night Arises. The darkness rising. And darkness is rising. It's happening all around us. But through that, the light of God's people needs to get brighter and brighter. And what's going to draw them out of that darkness when they see bright light? And you think, what's this, what is this darkness all about? It's a darkness of sin. It's a darkness of corruption and oppression that's all out there. It's a darkness of idolatry, pride of man. Darkness of those who do not even fear God. Those who rebel against God. Those who deny the truth of God. It's the darkness of those who have not even heard the truth of the gospel. And it says, why do they remain in darkness? It says, they don't even know. The scripture says, they don't even know what's making them stumble. They don't even know it. They're deceived. And it's our responsibility to share truth And share the gospel with them so that they will understand what is making them stumble. How do we do that? Because God's light, he said, and his glory is upon us. And it's up to us, the body of Messiah, to bring those out of darkness into his light. And we have the manifestation of his power and his light in us in order to do that. Unfortunately, we see it in our own country, spiritual darkness. So much rebellion against God in our midst. Taking prayer out of schools. Abortion. Fighting for same-sex marriage. There's no absolute truths anymore. And the sad part about it 
is what's being preached on our pulpits today in so many ways called universalism. There's many ways to God. There's really no hell. God of love would not send anyone to hell. There's many... You know, 2 Timothy 4.3 says that's the day we're in. I really believe we're in this day. And I've even, uh, you know, I've talked to Chaim about it, so it's not, I'm coming. But he agrees. 2 Timothy 4.3, for the time is coming when people will not have patience for sound teaching anymore. But will cater to their passions and gather around themselves teachers who say whatever their ears itch to hear. They will stop listening to the truth, but will turn aside and follow myths. So many in the church today are gathering around people that itch their ears. Those that are preaching the gospel, I've talked to pastors saying, more and more people are leaving our churches, and they're going after more these motivational speakers or these prosperity speakers. they got 40,000 people in their churches, and it's only the few, the remnant, but God has always used the remnant of those whose hearts are fully committed to him and want to do it his way to accomplish his will. So it's not a, about the numbers, but it really is about the day that we're in. And I believe the body of Messiah needs to wake up and understand the day that we're in. See, we've been under a lot of spiritual warfare. Anybody been under spiritual warfare? I believe, you know what caught my attention, and I'm not going to get through this message, but I'm just about done. But what caught my attention was something I had read, and, and it was these words. Pre-revival spiritual warfare. Pre-revival, meaning that, guys, I want to pour out my spirit, the Lord is saying, but there's going to be some warfare in order to get that. And I'm telling you, Personally, and us as a congregation, I've never been through such spiritual warfare. I mean, we, we, I mean, just attacks. And, and even in this word, it was going, yeah, I could get that. The accusations, false things, attacks from within the body coming at you. And people doing things that are just, just so out of character with people. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh. And he's saying, yeah, that's going to happen. But my revival is going to be and come through that, that he is faithful. I was telling um, Helen that um, I remember, well, I didn't tell you this, Helen. But I was walking up a path to the National Day of Prayer. This shows you how when you're trying to follow God, you know, you make plans. I'm going to the National Day of Prayer. But the Bible says he directs your steps he orders your steps, and that stuff's for real. I'm telling you, I made a, a, a friend of mine, uh, one of our staff and me, were going up to National Day of Prayer from Broadway up to the, that um, Capitol building, and this is what literally happened. I started walking up this path, and in the middle of this path was someone that had some major, I believe, some real spiritual issues, and, and they were with uh, me personally or with the church, someone I had to just really remove from their position and so on, and I hadn't seen them since. And I started to go up this path, and I said, well, Michael, you can go up and have to deal with that sort of stuff right now, 
issues and he said, she said, and, and, and I knew it wouldn't have been a fun, it wouldn't even have been a godly time. I said, I'm not going to go up that path. I'm going to go down this path. I don't believe I'm supposed to be going up that path. And it was just like God just changed my, this guy was in the middle, changed. As soon as I walked down this path, I walked into these people that were just praying and worshiping God. And I go, wow, who are they? So I began talking to these people. And I said, where are you guys from? What are you doing here? Oh, we're here for the National Day of Prayer. I said, where are you from? They said, we're from YWAM in Arvada. I go, really? Yeah, and yeah, we come down to the city all the time. Well, let me tell you, we're from church in the city, and we're down here. And to make a long story short, God connected us. God brought us together with that heart for revival that right now, the connection was so strong that they, they have a school called the School of Circuit Riders that have been in five different cities. They started in Orlando, revival broke out. They went to Los Angeles, revival broke out. They were just in London, same thing happened there. And in London, it's tough. And they're seeing people get saved all over London. And now, because of what going down that path and God bringing that relationship in our heart, dealing with the spiritual warfare, but our heart for revival and seeing God, circuit riders have arrived in Denver, Colorado, and they're at church in the city. And there's over a, there was 300 of them there yesterday, worshiping God alive with the gospel. These young people that have no fear, no nothing, they're out in the streets, they're preaching, they're sharing the word. And now they, they're living in our place everywhere, every classroom, every office. There's beds, there's women's rooms, men's room. I mean, they're, they're everywhere for the next two weeks. Revival is breaking out there. And it's all because I chose to not go down a path that was not going to be spiritually fruitful, but to go down a path and be led by God. There are 20 people have moved in, and now we are the urban campus for YWAM. We have people from Germany, Switzerland, Pakistan, from all over the country, living there now for three months as well, helping lead this group of 300 that are coming in now that are with us. And, and it's just something that when God is doing it, when God has ordained it, he is the one that will bring it to pass. Amen? Let, let me pray because I'm going to get through with this. Father, I thank you that you're a faithful God. I thank you that now is our time. Now is our hour. Lord, as those cry out and are about to in unison, as all Israel will be saved soon, soon, Lord, make it soon. We pray that would come to pass soon. Even as those Israelis are, are getting saved and they have to go to India to get saved. But Lord, they're going back to Israel with that. And they're going to influence a lot of people. We know the hour that we're coming into. Lord, and, and we know the darkness is filling the land as well. And you want us to arise. You want to let the glory just fill us and consume us. And take that hope out to this world. I pray for everyone here, Lord. 
I pray that your glory, your kavod, would fill everyone, and not just to consume it, but to be a vessel of it. Lord, because as darkness gets worse, our day is arriving. Our day is here. Lord, let us be the hope that would draw men to you. Lord, I remember when 9-11 happened, the people flocked to the congregations everywhere, and, and when things settled down, they, they left. But Lord, may that not be the case. May, may this time people really see where the hope is, not in religion, but in a relationship with Yeshua HaMashiach, the one true Messiah coming to know the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. May that reality, Lord, just grip our hearts and grip our lives and see that you have called us for such a time as this. And I pray that in Yeshua's name.